Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Galatians 6, and the last time we talked about the fruit of the Spirit, and we look at these characteristics that identify us as Christians. You know, we, we wear them in our lifestyle. Um, you know, God does a work behind the scenes, and, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is, a, is an awesome thing. And today we're going to really finish up this letter to the Galatians. The Apostle Paul, uh, it's kind of a mixed, a mixed bag. You know, he has these parting thoughts, and at the end of his letter, he really puts a lot of the real important things to the forefront. And actually, if you look at the letter, any of these letters, and you actually wrote it down in, in English on a, a you know, 8 by 11 paper, it, it's a several-page letter. You know, it's pretty intense. Uh, he's going to cover three basic sections. The first one is uh, helping others, very important, very other-centered, but also personal responsibility. Uh, the second section is, is pretty much you reap what you sow in terms of, of for sowing and reaping to the flesh, or to the Spirit. And the third one is really to scrutinize uh, spurious ministries. So as we go through this, we'll look at, check out what he's going to say here, and uh, we'll come to the conclusion basically on this entire letter to the Galatians. So if we could jump in, the first section, again, is helping others and really helping ourselves. And you, you see this paradox as I'm going to read it with burdens, you know, help somebody with their burden, but also carry your, your own burden. So what does this all mean? Uh, and people have debated this. Let's jump in. Verse 1. It says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Bear one another's burdens. Now, there's a context here. Remember, chapter delineations came later. So this is one continuous thought in this letter. But if we go back to ch chapter 5, we know it's delineated now. He's speaking about exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, you know, gentleness, kindness, faithfulness, and self-control. And he's saying, you see somebody who falls into a sin, right? What do you do? Well, the legalist, in context to the letter, yeah, you, and you've seen this, folks. You've been a Christian long enough. You've been to different churches. You know the legalist. Somebody falls into the sin, and they're just scrutinizing and fault-finding. And, you know, it's like the person just kind of falls down, and, and they walk right over them or step on them as they're walking past them. So, Paul's saying, no, that's not the way we're supposed to be. You know, we're supposed to help them. We're supposed to bear one another's burdens, and that's really important in the church. Now, here's the caveat. The caveat to all this is that this person is not glorying in a sinful lifestyle. You ever try to help somebody who doesn't want help? You know, it's you're like, what am I doing here? I'm doing more work than they are. So they're not glorying in a sinful lifestyle. They really want to change, and they really want to get help. And he's even telling us that we need to be careful how we handle this because this could be us. You know, life is filled with landmines. And when you, we're not believers, hey, we're, we're in the world. 
Satan pays some attention to us. He keeps us wrapped up in our own machinations. But when we become Christians, he's looking to trip us up. I, I call my Father in Heaven my, my landmine sweeper because he goes before me and poof. You didn't hit that one, Joe. He sweeps another one. Poof. I got that one for you. And that's what, you know, God is a lot of things to us. That's a strange analogy, but he is. He's, he helps to sweep those landmines so that we don't step on them. But by the grace of God, my brother who falls into sin, that could be me. And I'm just, I try to be humble about it. I try to do what the Bible tells me in my mind. The word for burden uh, in verse 2 in the Greek, in verse 2, verse 5 it's different. Verse 2 is baros, is where we get the word barometer. What does a barometer do? It measures atmospheric pressure. So the word means pressure, it means load, it means pressure. Uh, and I, I had these analogies as Christian soldiers, you know, going back and forth from the spiritual realm to the actual physical realm. And this is a, a, a pressure that somebody can't bear. It's as if soldiers go out to battle and one of them s steps on a landmine and his leg is, is incapacitated. He can't even bear himself, let alone his pack. And his buddy comes along and he, he gets under him and he, he carries him off the battlefield, right? And in a spiritual sense, sometimes we're like that buddy that carries somebody off the battlefield as the bullets are flying. And he says, we fulfill the law of Christ. How? By taking the time out to pour into somebody else. To the Bible says, restore them. And what happens? God is glorified. See, we're loving God by loving each other. And we're also loving each other. Jesus said the two important, most important laws. To love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus exemplified that. Now the word to restore is an interesting word. How do we restore this person? Okay, well, one explanation or one meaning in the Greek is to mend, as somebody would mend a net, a fisherman. And that's what they did back then. They didn't just go online, you know, 2,000 years ago to, to Google or whatever and, oh, I need another fishing net. They fixed what they had. They had to mend that net so they could use it again. The word also implies as if a bone is broken, to, to set and to let a bone heal and to let it repair itself. And today, as we celebrate Mother's Day, I think of how many times moms do this. You know, it's just that sacrificial nature that they have. They're always setting the bones or mending the nets because it's, it's a role that they embody, and it's, it's very impressive. Mothers often bear the burdens of her family, again, all the way until the kids are into adulthood and beyond. Um, verse 3, I'll read this one again. He says, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And quite frankly, that's all of us. You know, the Christian who, it's amazing. They can look at other people and the, the unacceptable sins, which all sin is sin. And they have the sin of pride, but they're looking down their nose. They're sneering at a person who's falling into sin. And Paul's saying that person thinks that they're something. They think they're hot stuff, and they're really nothing. It's pride. 1 Corinthians 10.12 says, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And pride is at the root of that. We're supposed to be handling a brother or a sister very carefully. You know, they fall into a sin. As a spiritual, it's a spiritual disease. It's a spiritual condition. And we have to handle it carefully and respectfully because none of us are above falling. And you get the impression that this person fell, again, not because they were being arrogant and willful. It just was, it happens. These things happen in life. 
Okay? 4 and 5, I'll read it again. But let each one examine his own work, and then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for each one shall bear his own load. Uh, I, have, I throw in like um, just my paraphrases. One of them is mind your own business, you know. Uh, we test our own works honestly. And don't compare ourselves to others. It's easy to look at a person who's fallen into sin and to gloat and think, ah, oh, so great. Lord, look, all these people are falling around me and I'm still going. Again, there's the sin of pride. But, the, 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 but they become self-deceived. They don't realize they're prideful because all they are is looking at what they think society or the church accepts and doesn't accept and they don't see their own self-righteous heart. So verse 1 through 3 is help another. Verse 4 and 5 is help ourselves. And, and we shouldn't compare ourselves to another believer, good or bad. And Christians do that. They look at somebody else maybe in ministry and they think, oh, I'm just, I couldn't, I'm not. What am I doing with my life? Uh, You've got to compare yourself with yourself. It's between you and God. And quite frankly, we're really supposed to just give our personal best to God for what the gifts and talents that he's given us. And then you can ask the question. You see these two sides of a coin. You see this back and forth because there's so much balance in the Scripture. Things get weird in the church or in doctrine when people go to extremes. So let's keep this beautiful balance here. We're to give our personal best to God. And the question that only you can answer for yourself and I can answer is, am I giving my personal best to God? Again, it's between you and the Lord. It's not for me to jump in there and and muddy the waters. That's between you and the Lord. Verse 5, he says, but bear your own load. Contradiction? No. Bear another's burdens, but then bear your own load. You see, we help others when the need arises, but we also need to take personal responsibility in our own lives. So we don't read the scripture and say, I read this and go, oh great, I could dump my load on somebody else because it says that somebody has to bear my... No, for me... I need to read the part where I take personal responsibility, bear your own load. For, and I also look at it when I say, well, gee, Lord, who, who are you putting in my life that I can help carry, uh, carry them? And verse, verse 2, again, is an unbearable load. Remember, he talked about the soldier who has his leg uh, damaged. And verse 5 is like a soldier carrying his, his field pack. And when you send the soldiers in country, they have their supplies, they have their packs. And they can handle their own pack. And every soldier has their own pack. And when they open the pack, there's everything that they need to get through the time that they spend in country. So you can see the differences here. So we are to take personal responsibility for our own lives. Now, if I could digress for a minute, there's many words for sin. Sin just means to miss the mark. All sin is omissive which means that there's this standard that God has and he's perfect and he's sinless. And no ma- as much as we try, we're always going to miss that mark. Some are down here, some over. It doesn't matter. You still miss the mark. There's no bullseye, right? So all sin is omissive. However, there's intentional and unintentional sins. And people do things purposefully. People do things, the sin of omission. I didn't do something that I should have done, right? It even talks about... Uh, Christian generosity, if we have the means to help somebody and God sets it up and and we have maybe wealth or something and we could do it and we don't do it, that's a sin of omission. So we're always missing the mark in one way or the other. Okay, And that's why Jesus came to die for our sins. Because he fixed all that. He took all those sins of commission, sins of omission, which are all omissive, okay, 
and he died for our sins so that there's not that issue anymore. And we're free, and we can have that fellowship with him now. Because Jesus had the mark of the mark of God because Jesus is fully God and fully man. And we take his identity, which is an awesome thing, when he died on the cross for us. So understand, too, that this isn't, and people get confused, this isn't confessing sins to each other so that somebody could give me absolution. That only comes from God. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He who? He God. So confess, you know, forgiveness, repentance. That forgiveness comes from God, okay? Even James 5.16 says, confess your trespasses to one another. Now we have to look at what this means. This is a failing when somebody should have made, maintained a standard. So in other words, a brother goes to another brother and said, or a sister to a sister and says, you know what, I really really failed my family this week. I really, I really should have done this and I really missed it and I messed up and I failed God this week. And what that is, is known as accountability. In other words, we're helping each other through the pitfalls of life. So know the terms, right? There's, I don't care, listen, I know some religions do it. There is no way you can talk to another man or a woman and confess your sins and get forgiveness. God is the only one who can do that. That's nowhere in the scripture. It's very important. So, and then I've also seen, and again, I'm, I'm kind of giving you the, the, the two signs, sides of the coin because we see this a lot. And you ask Pastor Joe, so how do I go through my life? How do I deal with my friends? How do I deal with my church friends? You know, how do I deal with my, my shortcomings? So I have to kind of pretty much go through this with us. There's also the idea of accountability is a good thing, Right? But forced accountability doesn't work. And I've seen that too early on as a Christian. A bunch, guys seem to do this. They get together and like, you need to be accountable to me. And they get like all cavemanish, and, um, you know, it just doesn't work. I don't force anybody to be accountable to me. If they want to, great. If they choose not to after a time, it's up to them. I'm here, but that's, that's their choice. So you can see how sometimes this can get muddy. Kind of reminds me of the three pastors Three pastors get together and they decide that they're going to confess sins to each other and the, each pastor, you know, the group is going to forgive each pastor as he goes up. So the first pastor goes up and he says, I, I have a confession. He goes, I, I drink too much and I get drunk every day and I have whiskey bottles hidden all out throughout the pulpit and, and in my office. So he gets done talking and then another pastor gets up and he goes, oh, he goes, my sin is, is theft. He goes, I can't help myself. When the bag comes around and nobody's looking, I stuff my pockets with cash. I know it's wrong. I know it's wrong. The third pastor gets up and he goes, wow. He goes, my sin is gossip and I can't wait to get out of here and tell everybody about you two guys. (laughs) So you can see where this could become a problem, okay? Moving on. Second section. He speaks about sowing and reaping. Uh, these are spiritual principles in ministry, personal ministry, okay? Verse 6, Paul says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked or fooled. For whatever a man or a woman sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, 
As we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You know, in, it's just American culture. You know, as you look at Christianity throughout the years and you look at some of the aberrations and you look at the Bible and you say, wait, something's wrong with our culture. Every Christian culture from, the, from Jesus Christ on has had to look at their own culture and say, there's some things about our culture that's just not right. Well, American culture in 2016, we can say the same thing. Some have the impression, well, did you just say ministry? Well, the pastors do that. I don't do any ministry. That's not true. American culture is people come into church, some, and they're spectators. They, they want to get a good show. They want to get a good laugh. They want to get a good message, take it home, and that's, they're done for the week. But that's not reality. We all have a personal ministry, and we'll look at this. Let me read verse 6 again, starting with the first verse. He says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him to, who teaches. My translation is give your pastor feedback. <laughs> so, and I put a little smiley face next to it because it made me happy saying that. But, you know, I mean, I see that some are taking notes, and, you know, sometimes people send me emails and ask me questions after the service, and I think that's an awesome thing. Now, there is an element when you read, when you read this and you take all the scriptures in the context of, of supporting financially, but I have to tell you, one of my greatest joys is when people come to me. I, I tell you, I, I, I read this and I got, I got hung up on it. I got hooked on it. Because when people come up to me, it could be a week, a month, a year. And I've heard this. You know, I, I'm discipled under the word and, uh, you know, my, my marriage is, is doing really great or, you know, how about this? My finances, my health hasn't changed, but I have more joy now. See, sometimes our circumstances don't change, but God does a work inside of us. And sometimes that is a great, that one of the greatest witness, witnesses to those around you. How do you do that? It's almost bizarre to somebody who doesn't know the Lord. And boy, if that's not an open door, I don't know what is. So that's a pretty, pretty awesome thing. I got to tell you, to me, when a person gives me feedback, it's like a shot of B12, you know, it gives me like a spiritual boost of energy. Seven and eight, I'll read it again. Do not be deceived. Do not be fooled. And we can fool ourselves. Self-deception is one of the worst deceptions. You know, we become the the president of our own propaganda club. And it's just, God's not deceived. So we shouldn't be deceived about this. God is not mocked. He's not fooled. Whatever a person sows, that they will also reap. They sow to the flesh. All right, um, will of the flesh reap corruption. They sow to the spirit, will of the spirit reap everlasting life. What are we sowing? Because whatever we're sowing, we'll reap. If we're sowing things of the flesh, if we're looking at things that we shouldn't be looking at, if we're um, taking in through our five senses garbage, we're going to harvest garbage. It's just a simple principle. Um, what are we sowing at home? I know the biggest concern parents have is when they send their kids off to college. Will they come back a Buddhist or an atheist or whatever? What are they seeing at home? Listen, parents, I'm a parent too. Things don't always run like clockwork in, in the DeProsimo home, okay? But for the most part, we try to sow things to our son and with the intent that he's going to reap something spiritual. I have to tell you that, and, and just, again, I, I don't ever want to stand up here and make you think, oh, everything's perfect in our house, because it's not. 
but here's a great example. My son, in his freshman year of high school, didn't have the option of, well, he, he always went to church with us. That wasn't, you're living under my roof, you're coming to church with us. That's a very simple principle. Rent and utilities, very expensive. So, you know, it's kind of a trade-off there. But when my son was a freshman in high school, I also gave him one of those nice blue usher shirts, and I said, you're going to start serving. wasn't an option. Okay, and he, it's cool. You see him, he's vacuuming, and he's helping, and he's doing things that he normally wouldn't do. Uh, last year, we decided, my wife and I, to visit a friend's church, a fellow pastor. And we were talking, we're getting ready, we're getting in the car. He goes, why aren't we going to Crossfields? I said, because we're visiting our friend. You know him. He goes, well, I want to go to our church. Like, that was pretty cool. He has looked at this place as his home. He has. And I, got, I want to thank you as well. You hear pastor's kid syndrome. He doesn't have that. You guys have made him feel comfortable and warm. Sometimes when you're in the spotlight, it's really tough. Um, and there's so, such high expectations, unreasonable even on the kids. But he looks at this place as a safe place. And I appreciate that. But that was an instance where we, we were sowing something to our child, and then we, we reaped the benefit in that. And we can look at that in, in all different ways. We could sow a selfish lifestyle, all about pleasure, promotion, prideful pursuits. Some people get mad when I say stuff like this, but hey, I didn't write it. However, I wholeheartedly agree with it. It's the word. Sometimes it, it grates against our flesh. Hosea 8.7, there is a contextual issue, but he says, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. And we can apply that principle to marriage, to family, to spirituality, to a lot of things. You know, is it just a, an hour on Sunday, maybe a few times a month? You know, I'm assuming, I always try to think the better of people. My assumption is that everyone's doing some type of personal ministry. They're praying at home. They're going through the word. It's, I, always, because I always assume the best. But only you know. You know. Do you really have a relationship with Jesus or not? And the person that doesn't, when, when something bad happens, they right away, because they're not in the spirit, they blame God. And God's like, I've been here the whole time. You know what I'm saying? You don't call out to me. You don't give me the time of day. And, and it's my paraphrase, of course. And now you want me to jump in there and throw you all kinds of lifeboats and stuff and bail you out of the situation that you created for yourself. We see this all throughout the Old and the New Testament. That's where the deception part comes in. Don't be deceived, brothers and sisters. It doesn't work like that. I can guarantee you that. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, where your treasures are, your heart will be also. That's a fact. So what are our treasures? What have we accumulated? Now again, another caveat, I'd like to throw those in. If you're new to the faith and you know, your kids are in their 20s and you know, you've got all kinds of strife, the Lord can do a work. Okay, you've got to give him some time to do it. But trust him. Trust him. Because he can be trusted. Verse 9, he says, And let us not grow weary while doing good. Now this is the, for those that are actually as believers bearing fruit, as John 15 says. Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. I want to talk to those of you that are really serving the Lord. You know, you may miss opportunities in this life, but what does the Scripture say? Don't lose heart. It's coming. And it, the fact that it says that we can grow weary and lose heart means that some succumb to it. I have to tell you, I remember being a pastor in the early days. Boy, I was young, I was inexperienced, 
Um, I got kind of thrown into the fire because of a situation with the last pastor, and uh, I, I was struggling. I was like, oh, my goodness, I wanted to quit all the time. You know what I'm saying? And I had people saying, you can't quit. What do you mean I can't quit? I can do whatever I want. I got free will. But you can't because God's using you. I'm like, oh, my goodness, it's killing me. Um, I don't say this anymore. But here's the funny thing. And listen, I just like to be transparent. I like to be honest. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you because then I'm violating what I just read. I'm so great and my family's so great and, you know, you people are down there. It's stupid. I'm just not doing that. But... (laughs) But here's the, the important thing. They're God's seasons and not ours. See, I wanted the bad seasons to, yet to end. I wanted the good seasons to come. Come on, bring it in. God's like, I'm not ready yet. <laughs> I'm still doing the work in you. You still got some junk in there I need to clean out. But it says in, in whose seasons? Not our seasons. It says in due season, which is God's seasons. But I tell you, when the season comes, man, you're smiling on your face. You're smiling in your spirit. You know God's got your back. And you know that you needed to cook a little longer. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you need to cook a little longer because he's just not ready to put that other season in. It's an awesome thing, though, when it happens. Um, Yeah. Verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, this is the last word on doing good here in that It is good to do good. It's great to do good. Goodness is a fruit of the Spirit, right? All all these fruits of the fruit of the Spirit that we use. But let's not forget the household of faith. Let's not forget our brothers and sisters in the Lord. John 13, 35, Jesus says, They, the unbelievers, will know you, Christians, or the Lord's disciples, especially, I added that, by your love, they will know that you guys are Christians. So the world will look back and say, I walked into this church and everybody seems to be having a good time. They seem to like each other. I don't see all these factions and splits. That's, that's fulfilling John 13 right there. And, you know, loving each other, praying for each other, helping whenever we can, and catching another brother or sister when they fall. Right? Verse 11. He continues. Last few verses. He goes, see with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. As many as desire to make a good showing in the flesh, these try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For not even those who are circumcised keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Third and last subject here is is to scrutinize spurious ministries. And we, in American culture, there's so many ministries, and some of them are just preaching outright stuff that's against the Bible, to scrutinize that. And this whole thing about circumcision, uncircumcision, we're like, what were you talking about? What was he talking about? Remember, every Christian culture has some kind of weird 
teaching that tries to get in to muddy the waters. So back then, it was this whole thing about keeping the Old Testament law, and there were these teachers who claimed to be Christians and said, well, you know, you could be a really good Christian if you follow all the law and you get circumcised, and it just got weird. And Paul was saying, that's not Christianity. You know, he, they're bringing you back into legalism. They're bringing you back into bondage. Now, this is an important insert in verses 11 through, uh, through 17 because really it should have ended with 18. You know, take care of each other, be concerned for yourself, sowing and reaping, um, hope to see you soon, the Apostle Paul, love you all. But he puts this in there, so this is important that we explore, explore it. So verse 11, he says, See with what large letters I have written to you with my own hand. Now, the letter to, he's letting the Galatians know, I wrote this. Okay, I wrote this. This wasn't a, an amanuensis, or that's basically somebody who takes dictation. And Paul would do that. Now, the speculation is he had problems with his eyes, and, and he had to write big because he couldn't see. Uh, and he, he gave somebody like a secretary or an amanuensis the information, and they wrote it, and that happened. We see this. Hey, Paul greets you, and so, does, so, do, so do I, and... Um, have a great life. But basically, he's letting them know that he personally wrote it. See these big letters? I'm writing this. I'm writing this word for word which is coming out of my heart, which is coming out of the Spirit. And there's going to be times where you need others to know that you're personally invested. And that's what I'm reading out of this. Guys, this is important. Um, hear what I'm saying. I'm personally writing this. And this is what I say. So the first thing, verse 12 and 13, he speaks about the motives of the false teachers. Basically, they don't want persecution. Now again, let's think of 2016. How many ministries have you heard? Have somebody put up on their Facebook post and you clicked it? And it's just garbage preaching. It basically just feel good, do what you want. God wants you to be happy. Uh, and there's just nothing there about introspection, change, being a better person, all right? And you know what? They don't get the world, American culture loves them because what happens is they don't say anything that offends anybody. Well, guess what? If you're really reading the word, you're going to be, I've, I'm offended sometimes, but I, I realize that this is God's word and the, the offense is my problem, not his. And I either want to change or I don't want to change, but the word is still true. Right, so this, is, this, is a this was controversial back in the day, preaching the cross of, uh, cross of Christ. So some of the false teachers would say, ah, don't worry about the cross of Christ, just keep the law, just get circumcised. And guess what? They didn't get, they got a free passage. They got accolades. They didn't get any persecution. And again, it's no different today. I want to read an article that I put in your, in your bulletins. And this... I was, I was going online, checking out a few things, and the title struck me. Now, I wouldn't have wrote this because I try to win people more, but you can't really argue with the guy because he's, he uses their words against him. And here's the title. The title says everything. He says, Joel Osteen and his wife are heretics, and that's why America loves them. That's like a like smack. If you weren't awake, you're awake now. Uh, and, but I'll tell you what, he uses their words, and he, he goes to what this, the Bible says. I don't agree with everything he says, but... That's powerful. And here's the thing. Look at that title. I'm not going to read any of it. You can read it on your own. But basically, they never talk about sin. They never talk about judgment. They talk about heaven, but not hell. 
They don't speak of, of the cross of Christ, the need for repentance, just a bunch of stupid worldly stuff. God is just some big Santa Claus, and if you really believe it and you really visualize it, you're going to get it. That is, that's Eastern mysticism, by the way. That is not scriptural. Now, here's something amazing. We have had a president for almost eight years that he ran on a slogan for hope and change. Here's the, Ameri- the amazing thing about American culture. American culture loves change when it's somebody else. If a guy ran on the slogan, I want all of you to change to better the country, he wouldn't get any votes. Think about that for a minute. I don't care if I'm, I'm one of the few that are crying in the wilderness here, but I've got to tell you the truth. We need to change. I need to change. I am not perfected. God is not done with me. I'm going to need to change all the way up until I breathe my last breath. That's what the Bible teaches. Okay? So that's what we have. 14 through 16. Now Paul talks about his motives. His motives were to preach the truth of the cross of Christ regardless of persecution. And by doing so, he said that he was crucified to the world. And that basically means that, and there's, there's believers that are just so torn. And I know American culture is tough. Listen, if we lived in Indonesia in a fishing community, life would be so much simpler. But we live in America. We have technology, we have phones, we have distractions, we have instant everything. You know, instant food, instant communication, whatever you need. One of my favorite things to do is to go online and order something, and if I really want it, I can get it there tomorrow. How the heck do they do that? And I'm only paying 20 bucks for extra shipping? That's incredible. So we live in a world of, of extra everything, instant everything. Okay? And therefore, a lot of American Christians are not crucified to the world. They love the toys of this world. They, they, their eyes get glassy with the things that they see. And Christianity, oh, I'll eventually get around to it, or I'll eventually change, or I'll eventually serve, or I'll eventually do whatever. And it never happens because the draw is too powerful. But Paul said, I'm crucified to the world. He's my hero <laughs> after Jesus. Verse 15, he says, he basically says that it wasn't the keeping of the law that mattered, but, but God makes a new creation in Christ. So the keeping of the law is man-powered. You want to try to keep the Ten, ten Commandments, knock your socks off. At some point, you're going to be going in your own strength and you're going to be not with the Holy Spirit. However, to become a new creation is God-powered. Personally, I want the God-powered. I did the man-powered for a long time when I wasn't a believer, all, for 24 years of my life. I did that, been there, done that. I'm going to go with the God-powered. I'm going to go to the second door, Alex. You know, I'll take that one. That's what I want. The new creation in Christ. And there's so much more power and victory in that. Sometimes as Christians, we struggle and strive and and we're, we're exhausted. And we're like, oh, this Christianity thing isn't working. No, 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 no. The focus is wrong. You've got to give it up to the Lord. Listen, I'm very, that's my wife. I get up, I open my eyes, and she's like, I need to have my coffee. And I'm running around the house, and I'm trying to talk to her and my son and and uh, that's just me. I'm like, as soon as I get up, I'm, I'm going. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to do 100 things during the day. I have the, my personality has the tendency to run ahead of God. And I tell you what, he always lets me know when I do it. Oh, what, why isn't this working right? Oh, <laughs> sorry. You know, and I've got to work it out, you know. Verse 16, peace and mercy be upon those that walk according, according to this rule. What are you reaping? What did you sow to, to get to where you're reaping? And I tell you what, when you reap the world and its toys, it feels good for a while, but it doesn't fulfill. 
verse 17. He says, From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is his really last word with his feud with the false teachers. And, you know, the Bible says, Romans 12, 18, if at all possible, as depends on you, be at peace with all men. However, the Bible also says that we can't be in fellowship with somebody who's teaching false doctrine, who's a compromiser, who's leading people astray. I can't. I can't. I have to break fellowship with somebody like that unless I'm trying to win them to the truth. So Paul had the same issue. And basically, Paul had the physical and emotional scars to prove it. Actually, the term, I have the scars to prove it, might have come from this. I haven't done enough research on it. But Paul's saying, listen, I have skin in the game. I suffered as a result of doing the right thing. And quite frankly, I'm not going to keep defending and explaining myself when these jokers attack, attack me. It's my paraphrase. So, then you might say, well, gee, Pastor Joe, isn't it true that, and you hear all these things in Christianity, that we should never defend ourselves and let God defend ourselves? Sometimes. Sometimes. Any solid teacher would try to dissuade those that he's teaching that are getting off into some strange stuff that could really harm them to, to use their reputation at times to say, listen, I've always given, I've never taken from you. Th that, that group, they're going to take from you, they're going to use you, they're going to abuse you. Nothing wrong with doing that. It's not out of jealousy, but it's out of concern. So sometimes you have to use your reputation in those rare occasions to, to keep somebody from going off the deep end. Okay? Warren Wiersbe translated this. I love some of his stuff. Uh, quote, he's, he's paraphrasing, if your religious celebrities have any scars to show for the glory of Christ, then let them be shown. Otherwise, stop bothering me with this stuff. <laughs> I think that's great. And seriously, Christian celebrities... You know, there are some that want to tell you what to do and how to do it, and, you know, they're, they're your teacher, and they're going to do all this. And you look at their life, and you're like, where are your scars to prove it? Where have you preached Christ only? Where have you preached that Jesus is the only way? And where have you gotten backlash from that? I tell you, when you're up at this pulpit, there is a lot of pressure. And the pressure is to tell you what you want to hear, that you came in here and you walk out and you say, oh, that Pastor Joe, he made me feel great today. Sometimes I'm not going to make you feel great because I'm using God's word as a template. But I have to honor him first. I have to honor him. Verse 18. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. If we could put up as we close the image that I have on the website and also it's scrolled. Listen, we're, we're out of the book of Galatians, the letter to the Galatians, defending the gospel. This fort, anybody familiar with the fort? Any history buffs here? It's hard to tell by the picture, but that fort is on the island of Malta. It was one of several forts. This one was Fort St. Angelo. It actually has been repaired. This is a more recent picture. The Ottoman Turks came to invade the island of Malta in 1565, and they felt that if they could beat the, the knights, I love the revisionist historians, oh, the Crusades, the Crusades. This is one of the Crusades, by the way, and guess what? It was completely defensive. The Ottoman Turks wanted to evade, invade, take over Malta. They had a five-to-one advantage in manpower, and if they were able to besiege and totally annihilate the, the, uh, the knights, then they had a closer springboard to Islamicizing the rest of Europe. We don't hear this on the news. If they failed, it would have been disastrous to defend this. Now, 
the knights were able to defend it, and the Turks had to leave, and they, it never happened again. But I use this image because I, I draw a parallel. The gospel, Jesus Christ died for our sins. He shed his blood so that we wouldn't have to pay the penalty for sin and spend eternity in hell. That is the truth. And if we trust in him, we have entry. He did the work, we don't. We have entry into heaven with all his promises. If the Apostle Paul, I, I would say that he was defending the gospel here. If he let this stuff go, Christianity as we know it would have been completely changed. False teaching would have been rampant. We still have it, but we do have many ministries that are willing to continue to teach the truth. Why is this so important? Because if you get, take away the gospel and you adhere to false teaching, and false teaching will give you a bunch of rites and rituals and all kinds of things like that, the Apostle Paul says in verse 5, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, the freedom by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled, entangled again with the yoke of bondage. This is a yoke, and it's heavy. <laughs> and basically, the way it works is the, it goes over the animal's neck like this, and here are the loops, and they get fastened. And two animals have to, there's a, a big ring here and there's a chain or a long rod that goes to the plow or whatever they're working at and these animals have to take this and they have to do their work and it's hard work all day long and if you ask the animal if an animal can talk he would probably say I wish somebody would take this thing off of me because this is a miserable life the Apostle Paul made an analogy to religion with its rites and rituals and all kinds of stuff that basically it's a yoke of bondage it does not a relationship with Christ but this is what it is. You know what's funny? Jesus spoke about a yoke. And he said in Matthew 11, I have a yoke that's easy. Wow, tell me about that, Lord. Not that it's lightweight and fiberglass or anything like that. He goes, I have a yoke that's easy and I have a burden that's light. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And you know what a lot of the burden came from in the first century? Religion. And people say, are you crazy? You're in a church. There's a big cross outside. It, there's pews. I'm sitting on pews. This is not a religion. No, what we preach is a relationship with Christ. So he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I got to tell you, let's not miss the message in Galatians now that we close. This is the message. The Apostle Paul wanted to free us, as Christ did, from the yoke of bondage, the yoke of the world, the yoke of our self-directed lives, and unfortunately, jumping from the frying pan into the fire, the yoke of religion. However, he gave us something greater. He wanted us to have a relationship with him to throw off the yoke and to have peace and to have rest for our soul, for our spirit, for our bodies. And he wants that for you as well, and that's all I can say about this letter. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. 
On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.